Hi, everyone. I have some big news that I want to share with you before we get to our podcast today. I wanted to let you know that Path 11 TV is actually launched. However, we are going to be throwing a party on November 11th at 11 a.m. with Suzanne Northrup. She's an evidential medium, and she's going to be talking with us about mediumship and after-death communication on November 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then after that, Suzanne has agreed to give people who sign up for a yearly membership a free gallery reading over Zoom. So the readings necessarily aren't guaranteed, depends on how many people sign up. Um, But once you sign up for your annual membership for $59, we are going to email you the Zoom link to enter into the gallery reading over Zoom with Suzanne on 11-11 at 12 p.m. So we are really, really excited about this. And we decided to discount the annual membership by 40% off the regular price until our launch on November 11th. Once November 12th hits, The price is going back up, so I would really love for you to take advantage of your annual membership for $59. With that, you are going to get free access to a gallery reading with Suzanne Northrup, and you can check out her website if you haven't heard of her yet, SuzanneNorthrup.com. And uh, if, if you sign up before November 11th, you will be able to enter into that Zoom room with her, and hopefully you will get your own reading. So head on over to Path11TV.com. You can register for that annual membership now for $59 and start watching all the content that we have. There's some wonderful stuff on there. I know you're going to enjoy it if you love listening to our podcast. Oh, and by the way, If you've just been listening to the podcast, we have the video um, podcast for Path 11 over on Path 11 TV. So you can't see them anymore on YouTube, but you can watch them for free at path11tv.com. All right, guys, let's get to our show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast. We are live today on 9-11, and we have a special 9-11 edition. It's a little bit of a synchronicity when we book our podcast guest that we happen to have invited Hirsch Wilson, who is a firefighter, and uh, wrote a recent book called Firefighter Zen. Now, you probably would never put those two words together, firefighter and Zen. But the fact that we are speaking to him today, and it is 9-11, we thought that it would be nice to go live as a special edition for 9-11 to also pay tribute to the 343 New York firefighters who lost their life today. Um, about 19 years ago. So uh, we just decided on a whim, hey, let's do this live and uh, just have a chance to be able to talk to somebody um, who has been a fighter, firefighter for many years. He has a wonderful message in talking about how you can bring mindfulness into your experience of life, uh, some of the trials and tribulations that firefighters go through, and how firefighting really is a very zen experience. Um, it really challenges people to question life and death on a constant basis. So I would like to introduce you to our guest today. His name is Hirsch Wilson. 
Uh, he and his wife, Lori, became volunteer firefighters in 1986, and he has worked as an organizational consultant, pilot, outdoor adventure trainer, professional dancer, and author. <laughs> he writes for Backdraft Magazine and other publications, and just also wanted to let everybody know that uh, you can watch our video podcast on path11tv.com, and uh, you can also listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. So, Hirsch, welcome to the Path podcast. Thank you so much uh, for having me, especially on uh, what is a very, very important day for firefighters and first responders. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, your book was really uh, interesting. I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, there are so many things that you described in the book that really coincide with being very present in life, really um, respecting how fragile life is and how short it is. So I was wondering if you can uh, just let our listeners know, what was your call to be a firefighter? Because I really do feel like first responders, firefighters, you know, police officers, um, medical doctors, there's many professions where it does feel like a calling. So I would like to hear a little bit more about your story. And Absolutely. Your sure. So I had, uh, I had no plans on ever being a firefighter. I, I never watched uh, uh, like emergency uh, in the seventies. Um, I had, I had other things going on. So my wife and I, we moved to New Mexico and Lori got a job working on a conference center about um, an hour out of Santa Fe. And one day uh, a guest fell and broke her ankle and there was no, no one knew first aid. No one knew what to do. Uh, the hospital was an hour away. And so they, they ended up packaging her. They called the local volunteer fire service. They came, picked her up, took her to the hospital. Well, at that time, Lori swore that it would never happen again. So she signed up for a six-month uh, EMT, emergency medical technician class. And uh, she took it diligently. And at the end of the class, the instructor, who was a firefighter, said, you know, if you want to keep your skills fresh, what you ought to do is join a fire department. So what Lori heard was that we both should join a fire department. So she came home and said, hey, we're joining a fire department. And I thought, no way, that's the, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I could not picture myself swinging an ax. And in my family, all the men in my family had an issue with blood and gore. So it was really a hard sell. But she um, convinced me to go and we sat down with um, 20 other firefighters in, in the bay of the fire station. Uh, and it was their medical team. And we, they were passing around a picture of uh, an accident, a car crash they had had just the week before, where unfortunately there had been a fatality. And they were passing it around, looking at the picture. And they were all being technical about how they did the extrication. And uh, Lori was very interested. Then the uh, picture came to me and I almost passed out because there's a dead man in the car. And I just couldn't handle that. But um, Lori whispered to me, maybe you can just um, drive the trucks, drive the engines, and you don't have to do anything medical. So I stuck it out. We both stuck it out. And after about three months, I realized that this was what was missing for my life. The um, uh, ability to be of service, to help others, um, to be with a group of people who you could trust and who had your back uh, and who you shared a kind of a special universe with. So that was in 1986. And we've been on the fire department since then. Great. And I'm assuming you didn't just drive the trucks, right? No, <laughs> no. I, um, 
it was interesting. It was, um, it took me a while, but I, I became, I did a first aid class, then a first responder class. And then I took my, my advanced uh, emergency medical technician class. So I've been an EMT for about 30 years. Yeah. 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 So right in the beginning of your book, you really challenged the reader to take a look at how long slash short their life is. And um, I really liked how you illustrated the timeline of death. Would you like to describe that? Sure, I'd love to. And I think one of the things um, that you learn as a firefighter is that life is extraordinarily fragile. Uh, and also, uh, which is, um, in our culture, we don't talk about it a lot, but we're all going to die. I mean, those, those are two kind of absolutes. And, and being a firefighter really drills that home. So the activity I do when I, when I teach is I have everybody draw a line on a page. And on the left-hand side of the line, I say, put a dot. And underneath that dot, that is, I put the date you were born, the year you were born. Um, and so that's easy, no, but no problems. Now what I want you to do is on the right-hand side of the line, put a dot and put the year you're going to die. And a little harder, uh, a little more challenging. Uh, and we can use... I mean, insurance companies do this all the time uh, with actuarial, actuarial tables. But, uh, you know, you can base it on, on how long your grandparents lived, how long your parents lived. And you just um, estimate the date, the year that you're going to die. So now you have your lifeline from birth to death. And now what I want you to, what I have them do is put a line, um, a, um, a perpendicular line in that line that represents today, Right. Um, and if you're like me, I'm 70. So I think I'm going to live till about 85. That's my plan. And so I know I have 15 years left. Mm. Somebody in the forties might have 30 or 40 years left, but to see it laid out in black and white is very dramatic. And it, um, and people often feel a little stressed, a little nervous because they understand that their life is finite. Um, and the question becomes, what am I going to do with the, my remaining time? Because time, you don't have much time. And Buddha said, um, our, greatest, our greatest illusion is to believe we have time. And the fact is we don't. And being a firefighter teaches that constantly because we're always um, responding to the people at the end of their lifeline. Um, and often the, the glitch about the lifeline, the problem with the lifeline is this, this thing called the glitch. And the glitch is that um, at any time, I mean, I think, I think of... Um, the firefighters in 9-11, they woke up to a normal morning, they went on shift, everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, they're at the Twin Towers, um, climbing those towers, and their, and their life's ended. And that's how, sometimes how life, life is. Um, there's a, um, in the middle of our life, we get the call, and, and that's it. So and it's unpredictable. Um, we have to learn to live with that, and we have to learn to jo enjoy and, and deeply be present every day. Yes. Uh, you know, in chapter 23, you talk about uh, 9-11 and also the word courage and how someone had once asked you, is, is courage something you're born with or do you right. learn how to have courage? Right. And you gave the example of the 343 firefighters that responded to the call on 9-11. Right. Um, and, you know, as, um, as everybody in the country, I remember exactly what was happening that day, what I was doing. Um, and, 
and of course, it shocked our fire department, like it did fire departments all over the country. And this young firefighter asked me, is, is courage something you're born with or is it something you learn? And I said, it's something you learn. Um, and you learn it by uh, experience, uh, by training, and by going on, on call after call after call. And I think the thing that was most striking to me that, that um, I, I wrote about was that when the thing about being a firefighter is that you just will not let down your brothers and sisters, right? When something bad happens, whether it's we're going into a burning building or a bad wreck, uh, you're not going to let down your brothers and sisters. You will do anything to make sure they're safe. You'll do anything um, to be part of that team. So you put a hand on somebody's shoulder, somebody puts a hand on your shoulder, and you take that step forward. And I, I think the most important thing to realize, especially today, is that bravery is, uh, it's not about not being afraid. It's, it's you're terrified, but you take one step forward with your team um, and, and you just keep taking that step forward, that step forward, that step forward, because we have a job to do. And our, our job is one of the most important jobs in, that you can have, and that is to save lives. And so that's what motivates you. But you're always afraid. You're always afraid. Yeah, you had said that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's actually, you know, taking that next step, even though you're afraid. Absolutely. Um, I thought that was put beautifully. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to also talk about, too, when you were giving the example of the timeline of death, and you said, if you want to take it one step further, at nighttime, begin to meditate on your death. Right. I was right. like, whoa, okay, hold on a second right. here. Right. Okay, I, I think a lot about death, think a lot about my death, you know, um, question it, you know, every day, uh, wondering when, how, and there was another part in your book where it's like, I don't have time to die, I'm too busy, right? right. 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 <laughs> um, not yet, please, I'm not ready yeah. yet. Right. But wow, so really interesting. So take me through that a little bit. Like if I was really to meditate on my death, um, what do you mean by that? Is, am I actually yeah. visualizing how that might happen right. or what it right. looks like? Or? Right. I, th I think the, 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 the first thing, it's not about being morbid, right? What we're trying to drill down to and find is that ability to be present and be joyful right now. That's what the goal. Uh, the goal is to kind of eliminate all the fluff of our lives, all the stuff that's not important, and really be living today, right? So that's our goal. To get there, um, what, what I ask readers to do is just lay in bed at night and meditate on the fact that before you were born, there was an infinity of time reaching back uh, to the Big Bang, right? And when you pass, there'll be an infinity of time reaching out in, into a future we, you know, billions of years that we don't know anything about. We're alive for a brief second, for uh, a nanosecond, in terms of the time of the universe. That's all we have, right? That's all we have. And our, I think our, our mission, our purpose is to, is to be joyful, to be of service in that moment. Um, and sometimes we get, and everybody knows this, and especially now during the pandemic, but we can get caught up with things that are not important. Um, we, can be, we can be hurt by things that are minor slights, we can be worried and anxious over things that are not that big a deal. And once, once you kind of meditate on the fact that you're only here for a little bit of time, um, that goes away. That can, those, those worries can melt away. And you can begin to understand and find um, 
what really makes creates joy for you and what creates service for you because ultimately um i think it's in the talmud that we says you know um we're, we're here to take care of each other we're here to make you know to really serve each other and take care of each other and once you get rid of all the nonsense and the the uh the bs in your life you can really focus on that stuff yeah thank you and you know, what would you say about firefighters, grief, uh, post-traumatic stress, and, you know, how how it's best for them to deal with that? Because like you said in your book, I mean, you guys are responding. Every call could be life or death for you, and it could be life or death for other people. Sometimes the destruction that you see, sometimes you are comforting people in uh, the most tragic moments of their life, whether you're responding to a car accident and, you know, somebody just died or somebody having a heart attack in their home or an actual fire that's happening. And you do mention, you know, grief in your book too. And, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of first responders in, in my private practice. And sometimes, you know, there is this mental health stigma of, you know, them not wanting other people to know that they're getting help. Or if, if people know that I'm actually having a really hard time and having some flashbacks or PTSD, mm-hmm. maybe they might take me off the force and I don't want anybody right. to know what's going on. And then there too is a lot of grieving. And I think firefighters, uh, police officers, first responders see more um, than the average human being sees and carry that, you know, with them. And I also think it's important to talk about how does one begin to heal? Cause that's a lot about what your book is as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things, you know, a, um, a law enforcement officer will see in his or her career, 180, what we call critical events. And those are the really bad calls, the really tragic ones. And, and, and firefighters, it's the numbers are similar. Um, and, and this is not to um, kind of um, saying that we don't have to be tough. We have to be tough. In order to go to a bad call, you've got to have a thick skin. You've got to be tough. But I, I think there's been in the fire service for years, because it's been a very male culture uh, and a very stubborn culture, that we were always taught to suck it up. Don't talk about it. Um, just get through it. Don't be a wuss, all those kinds of things. And there are consequences for that kind of behavior uh, and that kind of uh, attitude in terms of how trauma works on the brain. Um, A a recent uh, International Association of Firefighters study said that uh, 50% of the people, the firefighters they interviewed, had had been binge drinking the last last month. Uh, We know that firefighters... Uh, first responders are six times more likely to get PTSD than the general population. Um, and uh, the what I always think about is that it's 2020 now, guys. We know a lot more about how trauma affects the brain and how um, being involved in traumatic incidences affect us. And we ha- we have treatment now. And one of the treatments, one of the one of the kind of um, cornerstones is don't bottle it up because you can't. It'll come out eventually. And I can't tell you the number of firefighters, the guys who were my mentors, uh, who were definitely kind of the, the strong and silent type. After years and years and years, it just came out. Now, one firefighter, I remember we were on, a, you know, he had been here forever, uh, very stoic, great firefighter. And one time he just turned to me after a cardiac arrest and said, I just can't see any more dead people. I just can't. And he walked away. He stayed in the department, but he stopped going on medical calls. 
another firefighter after uh, we had a bad crash where we had a number of kids killed. Uh, and, you know, years went on, five years went on. And at, at like six years later, we were standing in the bay of our station at about midnight coming back from another call that wasn't that serious. And he just turned to me and out of the blue said, I just thought those kids were sleeping, right? They just look so peaceful. How could they be dead? Um, and the point is that that kind of trauma stays with you. That moving your mind stays with you. You can't stuff it down. It'll come up. And, and so we have to learn how to deal with trauma and we have to learn how to deal with grief. And what I've learned about grief after these calls is that everybody has their own path. There's no one path and whatever you feel, you feel, and that's okay. Some people are numb. Some people are, are really distraught, but whatever you feel, um, you're going to feel, and that's okay. And um, we were at a debriefing, um, a bad call once. And one of our old kind of grungy paramedics stood up and said, you know, the next three months are going to suck. And what's important in that message is that when you're grieving, um, when it's painful, it, it's going to be painful. There's no way around that. And you'll have nights of not sleeping. You'll have nightmares. You'll recursively visit the call. But the other part of his statement is that it's only temporary, right? Uh, we're born to heal. We're designed to heal. We will heal. I mean, if you think about the human race going back 120,000 generations, we've been through tragedy as individuals, as cultures, been through tragedy, been through hard times, but we heal. Um, we don't go back to the way we were. Uh, I n I've never liked the word recovery because recovery implies that we go back to a, a previous state. We heal, but we're changed. We incorporate the trauma. We incorporate the bad stuff into us, but we're fine and we get over it. And uh, would you also like to talk about how you were able to get through some of your own like personal calls that you went on? How, how have you kept a healthy mind after all that you have seen and after all that you have been through as a firefighter? Sure. Um, I think a couple things. I think once you come into the profession, and, and this works for everybody, actually. Um, you have to do a couple things differently. You know, first of all, you have to understand the trauma. You have to understand grief. You have to understand PTSD. Uh, I think the first call, one of my first really, really bad calls, uh, a long time ago, and I just felt terrible. And I couldn't sleep. I was blaming myself because uh, I had never heard of PTSD or any kind of anxiety or stress due to being an emergency, uh, like during, being a first responder. So understanding that PTSD, anxiety, and depression are out there is, and what the signs and symptoms are for yourself are really important. I think second is having a strategy every day for dealing with stress. So if you're going to be a firefighter, if you're going to be an EMS, uh, and I would say this applies to everybody, especially now, you need a strategy, some, some kind of technique, whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, to deal with stress right? To, to manage the stress that comes with the job. My, my personal way is I walk every morning, uh, rain or shine. I take my dogs and we walk. And what I've learned from dogs, which is interesting, is to be incredibly present in the moment. We walk the same circle every morning, but our dog, my dogs are so excited to go and they're so in the moment, right? There are a million smells or a million things to see, and they just keep me grounded in the moment. And I, you know, I, I'm able to stay grounded, 
um, kind of go through my priorities for the day. You know, my mantra is what are the things I can control and what are the things that are out of my control and then focus on the things I can control. So that's an important step. I think the other thing is um, to really work at holding on to kind of what I call a realistic but optimistic point of view, right? Like the, pandem the pandemic now, it's realistically, it's going to go on for a long time. It is really uh, hard for a lot of people. I mean, people have died. It's just a really kind of tragic situation. But I'm optimistic that we'll get through it, right? This is not forever. We will get through this. And I think about my, my, my grandparents were born uh, in 1900. And they went through the First World War, the flu epidemic, um, prohibition. My grandfather was a liquor salesman. And the Depression. Then they went through the Second World War. They went through the, um, the Red Scare, the polio scare, which most of us have forgotten about, uh, which was terrifying. And the Vietnam War, they went through all of that and they managed to stay optimistic. They managed to be smiling and, and laughing. And I think that's the attitude that, that we all have to adopt. So those are the kind of things that I think about when I, when I talk about being ready to deal with tough situations. Yeah, I also liked, um, I think I have my little sticky here. It was in chapter um, 10, right? So, you're, you know, one of the things that you say is that like life is going to bring you issues and problems, but one way, another technique that could be very helpful is to ask yourself, is this a problem to be solved? Is it an inconvenience or is this an emergency? So I was wondering if you can kind of talk about that sure. technique and how to kind of I guess, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling like this isn't fair, why am I dealing with this today? Or why is this happening to me in my life? You know, you kind sure. of talk about like, we can't, we can't live this life without issues, without problems, but right, right. here's a way to kind of categorize them and ask yourself and practice this on a daily basis so that you're limiting probably your high reactivity to things that maybe really aren't an emergency. Exactly. Um, one, of the th one of the things about being a firefighter or any first responder is that well over 80% of the calls we go on are not emergencies in our eyes. Someone calls 911 and, um, you know, they need help. Um, but the, the large majority of calls that go on are minor things. Someone needs to get help back in the bed. Someone's having a mental health crisis. Um, and, and, and it's not life and death, right? Uh, the way we see the world is that uh, there are life and death issues Right. And we respond appropriately for those. But the rest of it are not really emergencies. So we had to come up with new languaging to describe that. And I love this word inconvenience. Right. Um, something happens and you have to ask yourself, is this a life and death situation or is this just an inconvenience? And we find if we use that, most of the stuff we run into every day that are problems, uh, that something negative happens, is just an inconvenience. And the example I use is that your, you know, our brain hijacks us, right? Um, so something happens negative and our brain hijacks us. So we're stuck in traffic, we're going to be late, right? And we may immediately make up, if, we're, if I'm late, my boss is going to be mad, he's gonna fire me, I'm gonna go home, and my wife or my husband is gonna divorce me, I'm gonna end up on the street, homeless, penniless, and alone, right? And that's how our brain works, it just rips through that scenario if we don't discipline our thinking. And so what we we've learned to do, or I've learned to do, is to say, in a situation like that, is this a tragedy or is this just an inconvenience? 
And 80, 90% of the time, it's just an inconvenience. Um, the pandemic, for, for most of us, uh, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have gotten sick. Many have died. But a lot of us, you know, being locked up in our homes, not being able to get out. It's not a tragedy, not the end of the world. It's an inconvenience, but it's not the end of the world. It's not a life and death issue. And I think once we learn how to categorize, prioritize problems in our lives, um, we're able to be more creative and a lot calmer going through the day. So that's kind of the mental discipline that firefighters use also. Great. Yeah. I hope people can really, you know, take that away with them today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also just want to mention, since we are live for anybody that is watching, if you do have any questions, you can go ahead and uh, make a comment, uh, ask Hirsch a question if you would like, and we will try to get to those and answer those questions uh, before the end of the podcast. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about um, you made a comment in the book that there's no such thing as bad weather, only right. unprepared people. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That, that's feels really controversial right now, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Um, yeah. So uh, the weather is the weather is the weather. The weather's constantly happening. Right. Uh, I'm from Minnesota. Originally I grew up in the land of, you know, 30 below and blizzards. Um, I live in Santa Fe, which is a land of like California's land of, um, fires in the spring. So we know that's true. We know those things happen, right? So then the question is, are we prepared for it or not, right? It comes down to the fact that if I live in Florida, I need to, prepare, I need to be prepared for hurricane season, right? If you, and if I build my home on the beach, on the sand, uh, there's a probability you're going to lose your house, right? That's just the facts. Um, if you live in Minnesota and you don't have warm clothes in your car, you're making a big mistake um, and so on and so on and so on. So, so the, we, the thing is that we just, I just always think that the weather happens whether they're prepared for it or not. And, the, and of course the analogy is that's what life is, right? Life is this, this um, amazing ride of ups and downs and tragedies and joyful experiences. And you have to be prepared for it, right? Um, you have to be willing to kind of, um, Ride the roller coaster, uh, whichever way it might take you. And, and, and most of that is emotional preparation. Most of that is being prepared intellectually, right? Uh, and it's the stuff that we were never taught in high school. High school, in a lot of ways, and I, I, I'm a high school coach, but it's a waste of time in terms of teaching us what is really elemental and important for human beings. Um, that we're going to have tough times, that we're going to grieve, um, that we can get through anything. Um, that we need to be prepared for this amazing experience called life. But we don't really teach that, uh, and I think we should. So that's kind of the, the, the story of, of the weather. Yeah, I, you know, I've always had that thought too. I was thinking if, if we could all just be so resilient like we are each and every day when we wake up to the weather, you know, it's yep. like we may not like it, we're not happy about it. If it's raining, okay, I just adjust, right? I change my clothes, right. I make sure I bring an umbrella. And if we were to look at our anxiety or our sadness or the things that happen to us, and we have the ability to adjust so quickly to the weather each and every day, it's like we don't have much of a choice. Right. Right. Exactly. We don't exactly. have control over it. And most people are always trying to grab onto that control. You know, most people that I've talked to, they say, I don't like change and I'm a control freak. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I don't want things to change. And I always want to be in control. Yet each and right. every day we wake up to something that we have no control over yet. We move through yeah. it very smoothly. 
Right. And I think if you go back to um, if you go back to March 13th this year, I think that's it's either March 13th or March 11th uh, was when the NBA canceled their games, canceled the season. And on that date, we all kind of threw away our calendars for 2020 because we knew it wasn't going to happen. And uh, we learned, I think, how unpredictable things are. And I think that was a great lesson that I hope we kind of hang on to that uh, we can have plan. It's important to plan. It's important to look forward. But at any moment, we need to be able to pivot and go some another direction. And I think the the key ability of human beings is what you said, is their resilience, is their ability to bounce back. Sometimes we lose track of that because we live in a culture that really uh, teaches us to be comfortable, to be habitual, uh, to do things, you know, to do tomorrow what I did yesterday. Uh, and we get that drilled into us. But the reality is human beings are incredibly resilient. We're incredibly flexible and we can manage an enormous amount of pain and tragedy and still be able to live joyously. Yes, I'd also like you to talk about why you decided to use the word Zen in the title of your book. And can you sure. make a connection for the listeners about what it means to be <laughs> yeah. Zen-like yeah. and, uh, yeah. and being a firefighter? Okay. So um, I think being a, uh, practicing Zen and being a firefighter are different roads to the same conclusion. And the same conclusions are life is short. Uh, um, uh, Buddha said that uh, life is suffering. Um that all we have is this moment. That's the only thing we have. And, uh, we, and we have to do a lot of work, a lot of mental work in order to um, kind of grasp those three principles, right? And firefighting teaches the same thing. And then the, and then the consequences become the same. The consequences are we need to have an inner life. We always need to be in control uh, of our, uh, you know, kind of what we think about and what we believe uh, and then we, we learn that um, firefighting and Zen both teach the, the kind of importance of service, that it's not about me, right? It's not about me. It's about we. And to the extent that I can belong to a community, to the extent that I, I'm serving people, is uh, I, I think all the great religions teach that, that our job is to serve, to take care of people, to, to minimize their suffering. So that's kind of how I, I roughly explain the connection. Yes. And would you also like to talk about the three principles of kindness? You say, be brave, be kind, fight fires. Right. I think, um, especially now, um, and you watch what's going on, like the war about masks, people with, with masks, people without masks. And there's just this lack of kindness in humanity in our, in our conversations with each other. So um, I think the most important thing we can do right now and in general, is to be kind. And uh, it doesn't cost me anything to be kind, but the payoff is so enormous. Uh, I always think on the fire service that for every, opp every opportunity or every time we, we need to be brave, there are 100 opportunities to be kind. And one thing I've learned is that most people kind of uh, think of firefighters once they've, ex once they've been involved with us. What they remember is our kindness, not the big red trucks. Um, so, and firefighters are, are because of what they see, I think, some of the kindest people that you'll ever meet. So my three principles of kindness are um, one, and this is called radical kindness. One, I'm always searching for opportunities to be kind. It's not big stuff. It's opening a door for someone, right? It is uh, 
is overly tipping somebody who's in the service industry because they are just in, they're going through, uh, it's, it's really difficult to be in the, a frontline service worker right now. Um, so to, you know, be looking for those opportunities, letting somebody cut in front of you on the highway, all those things are, are out there every day for us to find and to be kind. Secondly is uh, don't expect kindness back, right? That's our ego talking. So if I open the door for somebody and let them in and uh, they don't acknowledge my incredible act of bravery and kindness by opening that door, right? My ego is wounded, right? And that's ridiculous, right? Because it's not about them. It's about me, how I want to show up in the world. And then third is don't expect reciprocity from the universe, right? It's not about uh, the universe paying me back. It's about how I want to show up in the world. I want to be seen. I can't control it. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm 70 years old. I've been through a lot. I, I realize that everything's out of my control. And, um, and there's not much I can control. But what I can control every day is being kind getting my ego out of the way and being kind. So that's kind of what I focus on. I'm not the bravest firefighter, I'm not the smartest firefighter, but I, I can really focus on, on being kind. Wonderful. Hirsch, thank you so much. Um, I'd like you to let our viewers and listeners know where can they find your book, your website, um, if they are interested in learning sure. more about you and reading uh, the book and go for it. <laughs> sure. So uh, the book uh, can be ordered through any, uh, your local bookstore. And I think it's really important right now to support our local bookstores during this time. It can also be ordered online at Amazon.com. Um, and I have a website. It's called HirschWilson.com, and that's H-E-R-S-C-H Wilson.com. And there you go. And there is the title of the book, Firefighter Zen. It's beautiful. I like the cover of it. You got a little bit of fire in there. <laughs> and uh yeah, it really is wonderful. I mean, it's not just a book for firefighters. I think, you know, any firefighters that pick it up, they're going to really feel a kinship and probably feel like you're telling their story. Um, but I thought it was it was wonderful. And uh, just want to thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. And for those of you that have missed this, it will be replayed. You can watch it for free at path11tv.com. And we'll probably have it replaying on Facebook. Uh, for today. And also just want to dedicate this podcast to uh, all the people who have survived 9-11, the friends, the family who have lost loved ones, uh, to the first responders, and also to the 343 New York fire, fires um, who perished in 9-11. So we send our heart out to all of you. And uh, if there's any message to take away, like Hirsch says, be brave, be kind, fight fires. <laughs> so Hirsch, thank you so much. You've been a wonderful guest on the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much for having me and have a great day. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. And don't forget to head on over to path11tv.com. Grab your annual membership for $59. Remember, that is 40% off the regular price. Once November 12th hits, the price is going to go back up to the regular price. So I really want you to take advantage of our launch deal of $59. You get over 75 hours of content that we have on there. And if you register now until November 11th, we are going to email you a private link to the Zoom gallery reading with Suzanne Northrup. 
And if you would like to watch Suzanne and see what she has to say before the gallery reading, you can tune in to Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or watch it on path11productions.com. She's going to be speaking for about 30 to 45 minutes on November 11th at 11 a.m. We're going to take a short break, and then you are going to head on over to your Zoom room and sit there in the gallery, and hopefully Suzanne will choose you and give you a private reading to connect with your deceased loved ones. So head on over to path11tv.com. Take advantage of the annual membership. Remember, the monthly membership does not give you the Zoom link. You have to purchase the annual membership in order to get into the gallery reading Zoom room. All right, guys, take care. 